Did you know that you could get even longer interviews with some of the most successful creators? You can with How I Built It Pro. With How I Built It Pro, you get extended ad-free versions of every episode. We cover things like pricing memberships, how to make course creation even faster, building a creator business while also parenting, current events, and more. Plus, you'll get bonus episodes where I offer a behind-the-scenes look at what I'm working on, the revenue for my own creator business, experiments, and video demos of the tech I talk about on this show. You can join How I Built It Pro today for just 5 bucks a month or 50 bucks a year. Sign up over at howibuilt.it slash pro or use the link in your podcast app. There is nothing better than a good gear and automation talk, and that's exactly what we're getting today. Kat Mulvihill is one of my favorite YouTube creators because she has shown me so many cool things about Ecamm Live. Seriously, if you've ever watched one of my live streams and I was using like a cool transition or background thing, it's because I learned it from Kat. But it turns out we're both also huge Stream Deck nerds. So if you've been looking to get the most out of your Stream Deck, or you need a compelling argument to buy one or another one, or if you're like some of us, a third one, today's episode is for you. Be sure to look for these top takeaways about how Kat uses her Stream Deck with her with Ecamm Live so that she barely has to edit. We also talk about how we use our Stream Decks for more than just streaming and how we use it to execute other automations. And she also gives us a great tip on how she creates content and how she determines what she's going to talk about on the channel. In the pro show, we talk about teleprompters and how I don't use one and I learned that she uses one, but not not for what I thought she used it for. So that's going to be a great conversation. If you want to hear that, you can sign up over at howibuilt.it slash pro. You can find what will surely be a copious amount of show notes and links over at howibuilt.it slash 305. But for now, let's get to the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody. I am here with Kat Mulvihill. She is a trainer and facilitator, the uh, trainer and facilitator at uh, Kat Mulvihill Training. Kat, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for joining. I'm really excited because we are going to nerd out on one of my absolute favorite topics, as well as maybe selfishly, um, my best performing blog post, (laughs) which is how I've configured my stream deck. Yeah. we got connected from Jay Klaus's community mm-hmm. and it was like from your welcome video because I just thought it was like super cool how you did a bunch of stuff. Uh, and then I found out that you were doing it in Ecamm Live and I'm like, I use Ecamm Live. Yeah. And so I thought we should chat because I think a lot of people probably do a lot of cool, well, want to do a lot of the cool stuff that you do. I hope um, so. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so um, let's let's start there. First of all, um, Stream Deck and Ecamm Live. Is there anything else that's like kind of part of your tool set? So my main tool set is Ecamm Live and and the Stream Deck. I think those are the main thing. Aside, obviously, from the camera and my bike. Oh, my teleprompter. I do. I'm a big, big fan of the teleprompter. I love it, and it is very much a part of my regular workflow. Ooh, okay, cool. So, so in pro, I already was going to say, in How I Built a Pro, we're going to talk about our gear, like our cameras. Mm-hmm. We're also going to talk teleprompter because oh, yeah. I don't use a teleprompter. Um, and so maybe we can do the pros and cons of that. Yeah. Um, if you want to get that conversation ad-free, you can sign up over at howibuilt.it slash pro for just five bucks a month. Okay, so your main tool kit, or your main tool set, Ecamm Live Stream Deck teleprompter. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on from the teleprompter, are you using like an 
like a mirrored iPad? Is that how you're kind of doing that? Or or how how are you using your teleprompter? Because I did have one. Yeah. And I just like didn't, like it was set up. And I had the iPad and I just didn't use it really. I was like the reverse Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I I upgraded. So I started out with the iPad mm-hmm. and it just, at the time I was running an older Mac and I had to run a software in order to mirror everything so I could see things properly in the teleprompter. And that was, that was a disadvantage. So for a while I just stopped using it and I would just practice looking into the camera. But I decided to upgrade. And so I have a monitor, a dedicated 10 inch monitor on mm. my teleprompter. We can get into more details later, but it made a huge difference because it is plugged into the power source, connected to my computer. It acts like another monitor and it's so easy and seamless. And and it's a monitor that flips so that I can see everything in the right direction when I'm looking in the glass. Nice. And that makes sense, right? If you're using it all the time, right? Because I think the thing that I would use it for when I had it set up mostly was um, putting like my Zoom calls on that, like using yeah. it as a second monitor and putting my Zoom calls on there. And then I just thought like, mm, it's taking up too much space on my desk. Um, <laughs> and it just like, I don't like the way it looks most of the time. And I found myself breaking it down. Uh, and so I just, I stopped and I really simplified. Like I also had a shotgun mic mounted to the top of my camera. Yeah. And um, that's like not really what shotgun mics are supposed to do. So I I put it on like a tripod. So now it's like when I use it, it's like right here. like Just out of the the shot. Yeah. 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 So which uh, new complexity. Again, we'll talk more about this in pro. But, you know, I have a new I'm using continuity cam on the iPhone. Okay. And so I have like a multi-camera thing now. So now I got to make sure it's not in either frame, but that's okay. That's like a (laughs) first world problem. It's part of the fun and complexity of a studio setup. Yeah, exactly. Um, So uh, we have your main tool set. We have your teleprompter. Let's rewind for a second and talk about, because we both are online educators. I'm a podcaster. You you do trainings and and vocal coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, So what made you really start to invest in this setup? I guess the whole preamble for that was like, not everybody needs what we have. Mm Mm-hmm. But when when did you realize that you should probably invest more in your setup? That's that's a really good question. I, I somewhat stumbled into it. So I used to work in the university environment and I left in 2019 to start my own business doing workshops and training. And at first it was in-person training. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a couple of opportunities to do virtual training back in 2019 before everything shut down. And that was a really interesting experience. And I was able to do it. Now, looking back, I I did a pretty good job. (laughs) But once everything shut down, I realized I have to pivot. Otherwise, my business is going to fail. And what I noticed is that as I learned some of this technology, I was running workshops and people would comment and say, "How how do you show the graphic on your Zoom call? I've never seen that before. And So I was doing things that people hadn't seen. And I noticed more and more people were coming to me asking more about the technical aspect of the workshop I was running and less about the content of the workshop itself. And I I recognized there was an opportunity there for me to teach other people, how do you incorporate graphics and really just elevate the quality of your virtual calls, the virtual workshops, webinars, So if you are forward-facing in a virtual environment, how do you make that a better experience for the people on the other side of the camera? And as I started, so I started investing in my studio setup slowly as a workshop facilitator who was just trying to make a living in the virtual platform. Then as I started to teach this stuff, I did start to invest more and start to bring in new tools. For example... Oh no, I got the stream deck before I started teaching it. So definitely it was it was me trying to just make a living as a facilitator and someone training people and being forced to go online. And then I found I really enjoyed it. And luckily I really enjoyed teaching people how to do the actual technical aspect as well. Nice. That's that's awesome. Um I similar story, I guess. I mean, I've always been like kind of a gear nerd, tech nerd. Yeah. Um, but I got my camera in February 2020. Ooh, right. And before. made or like January 2020 and made a video for YouTube. And that video obviously blew up in March. 
Um, <laughs> and like that was, that kind of enabled me to start to do more cool stuff with video. I was already making online courses and trying to optimize um, like how I was doing things. Because that, that was the main reason I was doing it, right? Is I was making online course videos and I hate editing. Yeah, me too. And so like uh, anything that I could do in real time or like make it easier for my editor, right? So one of the things is I would talk, I would have a slide deck and I didn't want to have to tell my, I didn't want to have to make notes for my editor to be like Mm -hmm. at one minute and five seconds to one minute and 10 seconds, show this slide. So I just would do, I would switch scenes and and do that. That's the sort of stuff I started using the stream deck for. I, I actually don't edit. I think I have edited maybe three or four videos out of my entire YouTube channel. I I do actually have a second channel, but I don't really create videos for that anymore. So I've probably had over a hundred videos, maybe three or four have editing. And that's because I do everything in advance with Ecamm and setting up all the scenes as if, and now the other thing is that I ran a lot of them live. So I would Mm -hmm. actually just live stream my content, use Ecamm with my stream deck to show all the different scenes, all the graphics, animations, they were all set up in advance. And then I would just end it. And now on YouTube, I would cut off the start and the end when I chat with the people who are there live because the replay, I don't want to make people sit through that on the replay. But I hate editing. And part of it is not that I hate it. It's that I don't really know how to do it. And I love that I can kind of set it up in advance. So I consider it pre-editing, maybe. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what I've fallen into. And it seems to just work for me. And if it's not broken, don't fix it is sort of my MO right now. I I would like to learn more about editing, but it feels overwhelming right now. (laughs) Yeah, and it's tough, right? Because I do, I do edit. Like I... I make videos, well, for a long time, I made videos professionally. Mm-hmm. Like people would hire me to make instructional videos for them and I'd have to do all the editing and so I'm in there in screen flow. But like, um, I didn't, I wasn't doing things efficiently because I never took time to like properly learn the craft. I would just learn things as I had to. Yeah. And so like I learned maybe a couple of months ago as we record this and like 10 years into my video creation journey, using mm-hmm. ScreenFlow, um, that you could do, you could like delete and then combine the tracks or like move. The, so this is going to be really hard to explain on a podcast, I think. But <laughs> in ScreenFlow, when you delete a, a portion of the video, the two clips that are left don't automatically snap together mm-hmm. um, by default. There's a special kind of edit that you, or like a special kind of delete um, that you have to do. And I didn't know that you could do that until like two months ago. Uh, so every time I deleted a track in ScreenFlow, it's called Ripple Delete. Yes. I um, think I have heard of that with Premiere Pro. Yeah. So like every time I deleted a tra- like a piece of video, I would then grab the uh the one track with my cursor and and drag it to the end and then like have to stop just short so that I didn't accidentally create a transition. And then I learned about ripple delete and I think of all the hours. Yeah. Uh, that I wasted doing it the wrong way. So, I, like, I, I bet yeah. there are so many tools, even even our phones, or just things we use every single day, and we have no idea how much time we are wasting because we don't know how to do something. But I was thinking about this the other day. Almost every time you get new technology, because they keep making it intuitive, so that it's great user interaction, user interface. The problem is nobody takes the time; they just figure out what they figure out naturally. And a lot of people just stop asking any questions or watching tutorials or reading instructions. Right. <laughs> Gasp. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. how dare I? Yeah. I mean, look at look at shortcuts. Like people ask me how I can spend. I have the iPhone Pro Max, whatever, whatever. Uh, the latest one every year, right? Yeah. I'm on the iPhone upgrade program. People call me a sucker for that. But like I do real work on my phone mm-hmm. because I'm building shortcuts. I want to know how many people haven't have never even 
looked at the Shortcuts app? How many people don't know it exists? I was that person for a long time until I had a pain point that I realized this can be solved with the shortcuts. And it's the most basic shortcut, but it solved a problem, which was doing my vocal exercises. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be a good student and do my vocal warm-ups as much yeah. as possible. And it was just so tedious to try to get to the file because it's an audio file that is saved on my phone. Not easy to access. It's not in a player. So I set up a shortcut where I just tap it. It automatically opens it ready to go. And I can just in basically one tap, open it and second tap, just start doing my warmups. That is so basic, but it's so transformative to fix that pain point that you keep having over and over or that stops you from doing a thing that you want to do regularly. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that you do on your phone or on your computer? Do that on my phone. Okay, cool. So what you could also do now is Mm -hmm. in the accessibility settings, um, go to accessibility settings or yeah, system settings, accessibility, back tap, and then you could set up a double back tap to just run that shortcut. Oh, the back the back of the phone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't want to accidentally open the file though and then yeah. start having some really <laughs> awkward audio come out of my uh, phone. <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah, I have um, double back tap set to my camera mm-hmm. because when you have three small children, you've really got to be quick on the draw with the oh, camera if yeah. you want to capture a moment. Um, or a smile. They will smile until they see the camera. I, I, I don't, it's a phenomenon. Um <laughs> And then the triple back tap is uh, run to the I have an idea shortcut. So it Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And then I type it and then it, it logs it to um, craft. Mm-hmm. And I just started using make. And yeah. make has web hooks. Mm-hmm. So you, and it accepts web hooks from shortcuts. Oh. So I can now add content ideas to Airtable. Um, oh, I love that. Or if, if make has Notion integration. It does. Uh, so you could run a shortcut and send that that data to Notion. If uh, Notion doesn't have like direct shortcuts integration, Airtable doesn't because it's like the like Electron, like the crappy Electron. I don't think Electronic. Notion has direct. Yeah, direct most things that start as like really intense web apps, probably, and then like have an app on the phone, probably don't because mm-hmm. they're basically just a wrapper for the web app. This episode is brought to you by LearnDash. Look, I've been making courses for a long time. I've taught at the college level and I've created curriculums for several different organizations, including Udemy, Sessions College, and LinkedIn Learning. When I create my own courses, there's no better option than LearnDash. LearnDash combines cutting-edge e-learning tools with WordPress. They're trusted to power learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, and creators worldwide. What makes LearnDash so great is it was created by and is run by people who deeply understand online learning and adds features that are truly helpful for independent course creators. I love the user experience. And now you can import Vimeo and YouTube playlists and have a course created automatically in seconds. I trust LearnDash to run my courses and membership, and you should too. Learn more at howibuilt.it slash LearnDash. This episode is brought to you by Groundhog. Groundhog is an open source CRM and marketing automation suite for serious agencies, small businesses, content creators, e-commerce experts, and WordPress professionals. Groundhog allows you to create funnels, automate email and SMS communications, and manage your contacts from the comfort of your WordPress dashboard. Unlike other SaaS CRM platforms, Groundhog does not charge you a success tax. Groundhog charges a flat rate fee, regardless of the size of your list. Groundhog will never charge you more as your list grows. It also integrates with all of the top WordPress, e-commerce, LMS, and membership plugins to create a unified customer experience. Start now with a 14-day demo for $1. Go to howibuilt.it slash groundhog. That's howibuilt.it slash G-R-O-U-N-D-H-O-G-G. Or use the code HOWIBUILTIT for 20% off your first year 
of any plan. Thanks so much to Groundhog for sponsoring this episode of How I Built It. As you know, it's an amazing time to be a creator, and it's never been easier to be paid for your expertise. But being a profitable creator is a different ballgame. Profitable creators have a high-quantity, high-quality portfolio of work. They understand the fundamentals of business. They are dedicated to becoming masters of their craft and creating more customer value. And profitable creators are business owners as much as they are artists. That's because they're continuously self-improving. And if you want to become a profitable creator that earns a living from selling your expertise, I recommend you join the Solo Creator Club today. Surround yourself with other profitable creators like me. Expand your influence, increase your income, and cultivate a deep impact on your customers through meaningful interactions. Become a member of the Solo Creator Club today by visiting jointhescc.com. That's jointhescc.com. Use the coupon code CASABONA for 33% off your first month of the standard membership level. But act now. It expires on Saturday, April 1st, 2023. The Solo Creator Club, where creators learn how to sell their expertise. I want to talk about how you use Ecamm Live. And I want to talk about how you use your Stream Deck. One of the ways that I use my Stream Deck is execute a bunch of shortcuts. Oh, like yeah. that's that's a thing that I do on my Stream Deck all the time. Um, so first tell us what is Ecamm Live mm-hmm. and how are you use like why do you use it for recording? And not editing, right? Um, because that's like, it's like streaming software, right? Like live is right in the It name. is, yeah. So yeah. Ecamm Live, it is a streaming software for Macs only. And it it really is meant for live streaming. That's why it was created. And it's got some native integrations so you can stream directly to YouTube, to Twitch, and to Facebook. And now they're they're actually, they keep expanding, which is great. They've actually just added, I don't know if it's only in beta, but multi-streaming as well so that you can stream to multiple places. And now I think you can stream to Instagram with Ecamm. So No kidding. I've I've been using Restream for that. Yeah, it's new. I think it's, I believe as the time that we're recording this, Mm -hmm. it's in beta, but beta is accessible for people who want to try that out. And then that's on the pro plan and uh, that it should be rolling out to everyone soon. I don't know when. I don't have a date. But yeah. the, the, running, the software... Uh, I'll just say real quick, running yeah. beta software for your for like your live stream their betas, Their betas are pretty pretty <laughs> reliable and they've got a ton nice. of testers who are using it every single day. Nice. So I feel like they know what they're doing there. Nice. And they do have a Discord for people who are in the beta and can keep those conversations going. And so the software, what I found quickly though is I was using it for live streaming. That is why I initially got it. And you would set up different scenes. So scenes might have graphics. One might be a screen share. One might be an animation. One could just be your main camera. So as I realized how powerful it was for setting up these different scenes and sort of telling a story and it's like storyboarding in advance. That's how I think of it is Ooh, what, I like what do that. I want to do in what order? And yes, you can use it to just kind of jump back and forth in between these scenes, but I started to actually set it up like a show flow where every single scene would follow in order. And I use those for my all my YouTube videos. I use it for any lessons that I create when I have a course. I also use it in Zoom. And so I started using this in Zoom very early on. And this is what started to get people's attention to say, hey, how'd you do that thing? How did you show an overlay in your Zoom video window what is happening? Teach me how to do that. And that's what really got me into it. Now, I did learn after that that OBS does almost all of the same things. And actually, they do some things that Ecamm does not do. And OBS is is open source. It is free. It works on Windows and Mac, which is a nice bonus. I personally still, Ecamm is so user-friendly and intuitive. You know, you use it. But I, I also thought I'll teach people how to use OBS as well because I definitely want there to be a low barrier to entry for people who want to start thinking in scenes, I guess you could say. Yeah, I like that. The thing, I used OBS for a long time, right? Again, computer science nerd. And so if I wanted to stream or whatever, like OBS was the thing you had to use. And then I, when I learned about 
Ecamm Live's native bring in the iPhone or iPad as a scene thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like fighting OBS on that. (laughs) I was like, this, if I'm going to be using my iOS devices and iPadOS devices a lot on live streams, which I was intending to do at the time, like, you know, I'm going to like draw and like wireframe and like do that thing that Pat Flynn does where like he like writes out answers or whatever because it's like neat. Oh, the Um, the whiteboard on the screen? Yeah, like the whiteboard thing. Yeah. Um, now it's mostly just like showing people how to execute shortcuts or like cool apps I'm using. But either way, when I learned I didn't have to fight Ecamm Live, I was like, yes, this is yeah. worth the money. Um, and I also kind of feel maybe it's different because I haven't used OBS now in a few years, but um, I feel like it is cross platform, but it works a little better on Windows. Would you say that's, would you? Say that's accurate or has it changed? Well, my, I okay, have a Dell, but mm-hmm. it is not powerful at all. And I just don't want to invest in a more powerful PC right. just for testing it out. So I have used it on Windows, but I can't be sure. I don't use it enough. I use OBS enough to teach people how to mm-hmm. set it up for their Zoom calls. But I do, I'm not teaching people how to stream with OBS. That's just not in my wheelhouse. And yeah. I, I just don't know enough. I'm just, that's my honest answer. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's great. That's so, um, I will continue that story until maybe if you're listening, let me know, like write in, like tweet me or social media platform me at Jay Casabona, right? By the time this comes out, who knows? Um, but, uh, uh, I, I feel like it's, you know, like, you know, Apple Mac makes you do like certain sandboxing things and doesn't give access to certain resources on the system that you can with Windows. And so I just feel like with an open source system like that, your OBS kind of works better on Windows for that reason. Whereas because Ecamm Live is Mac only, yes, um, it probably can play within the rules of the operating system a little bit better. I suspect you're right yeah. on that front. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the other reason I really like Ecamm Live is because I believe it has now again, maybe this is wrong, right? But I felt at the time I was evaluating them and had better Stream Deck integration. Um oh. but maybe that's not the case. Like maybe they're equally as good. Uh or like equally. I don't know. You know I that's a really good question. I, it does enough that I, obviously both Ecamm and OBS, you can you know run scenes and mm-hmm. do different things. But I haven't really done a side by side. That might be an interesting comparison yeah. to look at. Yeah. What, where would you do that comparison? Do you have a, a a place where you upload videos that people can learn more about uh, this stuff? Well, I just so happens that <laughs> yes, I teach tutorials on YouTube. Uh, that I, I don't know if anyone would care about that comparison or not, but I am I am going to be creating some new Stream Deck content pretty soon, and I do think people like comparisons. I just don't know if they want to compare Ecamm versus OBS because people usually pick the one that they, they want pick and a camp. yeah yeah they don't usually pick it based on their stream deck <laughs> capabilities right. that's my guess yeah. i'm just that's, guessing so that's a really good point though right cuz i think like some creators well first of all i'll say like you can find a link to cat's youtube channel and everything we're talking about here over at slash 305 um that's a really good point though cuz i think a lot of creators um instinct or urge would be yeah i'm just going to make that video but you took a moment and you're like, I don't know if people want to know about this. And like, <laughs> so do you do, do you do like keyword research or anything like that? Or, or do you do it like based on questions you get? Like, how do you come up with, with video ideas? So early on when I was switching from my previous workshops to now teaching people how to do what I was doing, how to run the virtual meetings and workshops, that came naturally to me because I realized there was content I wanted that I wasn't necessarily finding or the content I was finding was not how I would want to consume it. It either did not answer my question or it was really convoluted or something. Something was up with it. And I just thought, oh, I wish there was something better. And that sounds maybe egotistical, but I thought I'm going to do this the way I would want to consume it. And so early on, I just, I had a laundry list. I think I had three, four months of worth of content right off the bat. Afterwards, though, yes, I started getting feedback from my audience as it grew and people started asking specific questions or 
I was helping to solve certain problems that my audience was raising. And so that sort of became the source of a lot of the inspiration. I did find as a creator, there was a point where the well was kind of running dry because I thought, okay, all the topics, I kind of cover them. I don't want to just start recovering them. They mm-hmm. need a different angle. Yeah. And yes, there are updates. And so there, there are a couple of videos I made early on that I have thought it's they're two years old and there are things that I really do wish I had said. And I think like, for example, I teach people how to add graphics to Zoom. But when I first shared that video, I didn't realize how much the resolution was compromised. So I started Mm. to make videos on, okay, what do you do if it's blurry? And it's usually, it's not blurry for you. It's blurry for others. And sometimes people don't tell you. And I didn't, I had that situation where someone said, hey, you know, that training you ran, it was kind of hard to see. It was, it was sort yeah. of blurry. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, how, how long have I been doing this? Why did no one tell me? And so I was trying to get that message out. But I think if I go back, I would teach that lesson differently and I would focus on different graphics. So I have some things I would do differently and I could recreate that. But I think for me, I usually like to create content on something that both is interesting, that I find fascinating, but also that solves a problem in some way. Typically, it has solved a problem for myself, and I think it would help others. Sometimes I try to solve a problem for someone else as well. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So first of all, the resolution thing, I think it's funny you mentioned that because my friend Alistair had this whole thing set up, and like he was like so excited to show it to me. And he's like, check it out. And, and then he's like showing me a spreadsheet. And I'm like, I can't really read that Yeah, because the resolution's bad. He's like, what? And I feel like I <laughs> in a cereal a little bit. And... Um, <laughs> Because I was like, sorry, this is, it's not readable. Yeah. <laughs> and I think true. he has since fixed it, but I feel like I just like popped his balloon. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I I think what you say is great here, right? You're solving problems usually for yourself, right? Um, Dickie Bush, who was on the show previously, says like, if you don't know what to write, write for you two years ago, mm-hmm. right? And so talk about the problems you're trying to solve. So that's the one thing, I, that's one thing I wanted to pull out. And the other thing, um, is about those update videos, right? Because the thing about YouTube is you can't re-upload, right? You can't yeah. like replace a video. So if you want to do an update, then you need to upload a whole new video. But then that's, that is opportunity for new content. Um, mm-hmm. I follow a channel called Star Wars Explained because I am so cool. I mean, I guess like <laughs> right here for people who have seen my videos, um, this is, it's called Boba Font. Oh. It's like, it's Boba Fett, but in like set type or typesetting. Yeah. This is really oh. dorky. You know, yeah. I, I was going to say my my other half, he's a real big fan of Star Wars. And Boba Fett was his favorite character for a very long time until the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see why. It kind because... of put a damper. And it was it was almost exclusively because of the helmet. And he just said, why do you keep taking your helmet off every yeah, five minutes? That's, that's Bobo wouldn't do that. So yeah, that's what made him like cool and yeah, the mysterious. mystique exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. that was that was a little side tangent to start. Another with. side quest. I, I'm definitely gonna have chapter markers here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, Star Wars explained on on May the fourth every year. He up he uploads a new Star Wars canon video. Oh. So okay. like he takes all the content from the previous year, comic books, TV shows, not movies really anymore, but all uh, books, and then puts a puts together a chronological timeline video, and that video like crushes it every yeah. year. So like if you're doing YouTube and you're like, what do I do? Like see, look at the look at older videos that are doing well, and just do an update for them. Yeah. Not well, like just, I'm not a YouTube expert, but that yeah, seems to I wouldn't, work for I wouldn't do that all the time, but I think yeah. when there's a legitimate update. So an example right. would be OBS. I taught how to do a circular picture in picture and then later learned this is not the good way to do this. This is actually sort of a disadvantage. And I came back and I made a new one and said sort of the preferred way to do it. Mm, and yeah. I think I went back to the original. I I pinned a comment to say, there's a better way. Go, yeah. don't watch this one anymore. And then also I think I put a little, uh, what do they call those? Like the, 
the cards. The right? little, yeah, I put a little card. I think yeah. towards the start to just highlight right. new preferred method. Please don't yeah. watch this video. Yeah. But you can't, that's the problem. The algorithm, you're not sure, is it going to keep serving up the old one right? and not I, direct people to the new one? You can't be yeah. sure. So you just have to do what you can to get the right. word out if there and is a better way. From what I understand, like with the pinned comment and the card and like maybe like an end screen, like that does help the recommendation mm-hmm. underst- engine understand. So yeah. what, see what, what a real clickbaity person would do is first put out a video that's like, I was wrong and like looking like real sad, like, <laughs> and then like reference that video. And then yeah. like two days later, here's how you really do it. Um, I'm trying to learn the YouTube algorithm. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think those are some great points about coming up with content. Now let's, let's go back to the stream deck, which I feel is like the main event. And again, like any good YouTube video, we teased it right from the beginning and now we're finally <laughs> getting to it. Um, I love my stream deck. Which one do you, which one or ones? Because now people are living the multi stream deck life. I am. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so which ones do you have? Well, I go through stages. Okay, I my first one was the regular stream deck with 12 keys. Okay. It's 12. And tell me if I'm wrong. Is it 15? Maybe it's 15. It's 15. 15. It's 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say eight, but that's not right either. It's 15. Yeah, it's 15 key. And that was the one I was using for a long time. That is what I did. My, My most popular video is how to use the stream deck. And I was using the small one. And I sort of made a joke, I think, because it was a live stream of you know, sell enough. And I sold some Zoom icons for your stream deck. And I Mm. joked, sell enough stream deck icons to buy the XL. And actually a few months later, I was able to do that. So then I bought, I upgraded to the XL and started using that exclusively for a really long time. Then last, I think it was last January, I got my hands on the loop deck, which is a competitor to the stream deck. Yeah, I I looked into that. I would love your thoughts on that. So I... There are things that I really like about the loop deck that the stream deck doesn't have. And then there are things about the stream deck that the loop deck doesn't have. So I really do feel like they are two, obviously they work very similarly. The loop deck has the dials, which now the new stream deck plus does have the dials, but Mm -hmm. the, the loop deck, I think for someone, let's say someone who is actually an editor, Mm -hmm. there are some custom built integrations with some editing products. And so I think they have really honed in on that audience. What I like about the loop deck is that it's so quiet because it's touchpad keys. Whereas the stream deck, something people will say to me and something I realized early on is these buttons make noise. And if you have a sensitive microphone, you are hearing every button press. And I sort of taught myself how to press them gently. Mm-hmm. And the loop deck, you you don't hear it. It's just, you just tap, but you have to look because if you tap the wrong one, you might not get what you want. So if you are trying to make eye contact, you're live streaming, you're looking forward, you have to glance down. You can rest your hand on it, but you still run a risk of hitting one of the the touch screens beside. Yeah, With, whereas like the stream deck, like the buttons are kind of elevated. You can like yes. kind of feel your way to the right it's one. It's tactile, yes. Yeah. So you could rest your hand on the corner and you know, you always, I always leverage the four corners of the stream deck yep. as the primary ones but you can count with your hand. And then I did get the pedal and the pedal. Now the pedal is not the best investment for me because I am at a tall desk. So it's standing height, but I sit in a drafting chair. So if I'm ever seated, I can't touch the pedal. And it it obviously (laughs) only has three buttons, but when I'm standing, sometimes I'll use that for a presentation where I'll just use my foot to go to the next scene. So I got that. And then I did recently get the Stream Deck Plus so that I can teach about that. And as as of recording it, I'm a little underwhelmed with the dial options. They're just not that many. Also, I think the buttons are louder. I have not been able to quietly <laughs> press the Stream Deck Plus yet. It's just, there's no gentle way so they're bigger buttons. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I like the strip because it, you can change pages really quickly just by swiping. Yeah. But so far, oh, I yeah. so far it's limited. My experience has been limited. 
And to answer your question, <laughs> so for a while after I got the loop deck, I did actually go back to the 15 key stream deck and I had the loop deck on the left and I had the 15 key stream deck on the right. So I sort of had each hand had access to shortcuts. And then more recently, I, I switched back to the 32 key, the XL, and I actually have the 32, the loop deck, and the Stream Deck Plus all sort of surrounding my keyboard, which sounds like overkill, but I, I'm not going to lie. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you use it, that's like, that's really interesting. I, um, I have the 32 and the Stream Deck Plus. Mm-hmm. I had a macro pad, but I didn't like read the manual before I got it. And it's like, <laughs> win, like the software is Windows only. Oh, oops. So like Mac… The Mac basically treats it like the first 24, like the left side of a full-size keyboard, which is so annoying. (laughs) And I've tried like so many ways to, like I've tried like Better Touch Tool to map it differently and Keyboard Maestro to map it differently. But the problem is that it it maps to like the A key. So then you're like remapping both A keys. And I'm like, oh, this is terrible. No. Um, no. So, and like the, it's, Whatever they're, I think they're called the Cool Master or something like that, like some like hip gaming dude bro company. They say that software is coming from the Mac, but they've been saying that for like three years now. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm using the I have the pedal as well. I don't use the pedal because I think I told you this like uh, in the pre-show or in a different call, but mm-hmm. I wear shoes in my house. Yeah. My brother would call me an animal for that. Like I could always take my <laughs> shoes off. But um and I have like a, a weirdly hard time like feeling where the the button I want to press is, right? And yeah. I'm like usually sitting and like my body like shifts. So uh I'm not using that right now. I am using it right now because my son likes to play with my Roadcaster Pro for the sound effects. Yeah. So I just like mapped sound effects to the Stream Deck pedal. That's good. So idea. he never has to touch my stream deck or my my Roadcaster Pro. Well, I, um, I I do yeah. believe the advice that I suggested to you for the shoe is to replace the middle with the stopper. So the middle yeah. now is offline; it's not a button, but you can just rest your foot in the middle, right? And then just go right or left. It's more like driving, yeah. 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 And that that works right because what I would use it for is the call to action in in my videos, right? So like, go here to get this, uh, and then the subscribe. Like I had like a little subscribe animation created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like a little overlay. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably that's a good idea. And uh, now that I'm live streaming more, again, I think I should probably do that. Um, <laughs> so we'll be here all night if we or all day or whatever if we uh, if we go through how our stream decks are configured. Yeah, no, but we're not. That's that's not great. Patio fair. No, it's not patio podcast patio, fair. The new the new word coined right here. Patio <laughs> audio um, podcast. There we yeah. go. No, it's not. So instead, let's talk about maybe your strategy. Yeah, for your stream deck, right? Because I have I have a strategy. You have a strategy. You've got <laughs> all three. What what's how do you have things set up? So I have most. My default profiles are typically my day-to-day productivity. They are predominantly triggering opening applications, opening files, and just shortcuts. And then if I am live streaming or if I'm running a workshop, I switch to a specific a specific setup for that so that I can trigger specific overlays, starting things, ending things. So that's more... T- depending on what I'm using. So if I am using Ecamm, I will have my Ecamm features. If I'm also using something like Zoom or Keynote or some sort of slideshow, I'll have all of those set up so that I can just do the production using the Stream Deck. And that's really my strategy, I think, is which mode am I in? And I'll have different pages set up for different things. I am still optimizing from a workflow standpoint. And most recently... I, this, this is a pretty nerdy moment, but I'm so excited about a couple of new multi-actions that I set up for running my business. And one is called bookkeeping and it's a, Mm. I think 13 action, multi-action. And now that includes delays. So I will, it will open my QuickBooks. It will open my Stripe dashboard, my banking dashboard, my everything that I need. 
And it will also trigger opening Excel and opening the template page so that I can quickly get all of the files that I need in order to do my book my bookkeeping. I love it. <laughs> With one press, everything's ready to go. And then the other one I did very similar is called my KPIs. And that will launch all of the sort of monthly check-in for my business. So any of the metrics that I want to enter. And it will also open the spreadsheets that I have with all my KPIs. So everything just launches. But that's why I set the delays. Because I don't want to just bombard all of those actions at the exact same time. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I do similar things with Keyboard Maestro. Okay. And then I map Keyboard Maestro. So Keyboard Maestro is, is a system automation tool um, that mostly generally, for those who don't know, for allows you to map keyboard shortcuts contextually mm-hmm. um, or not or globally or whatever. And so like one of my Keyboard Maestro shortcuts is my podcast context mm-hmm. where it will open Riverside in Chrome, resize it to the top quadrant mm-hmm. of my monitor. Open GarageBand, resize it to the bottom quadrant, and then open Notion and make it the other half of the screen. Yeah. Um, because that's where I'm taking notes. And that is a Stream Deck button that's mapped to a keyboard maestro trigger scenario thing. Yeah. Um <laughs> script. I'm gonna say script. I think it's script. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool that you can do it sounds like you can do a lot of that, opening the things up, maybe window resizing you need to figure out, but um, Right with the Stream Deck, right? I, I do the same thing with shortcuts. And I didn't realize like the multi-actions were so robust on the Stream Deck. Yeah. Well, I, I do think right now the multi-action probably wouldn't do the resizing. That's where you would right. need to use a different tool, whether that's shortcuts or a keyboard maestro. But it it can do quite a lot. And the file one, that's, that's new. I had tried to map the file pathway directly in the open and it wasn't working. And then I learned... You drag the file and drop it into the application little holder. And you can do it with folders and you can do it with files. And that was a game changer. (laughs) That's awesome. That's also, so I'll say like trying to execute, there are a couple of ways you can execute shortcuts on the Stream Deck. And there's like a plugin that you can get. I saw the plugin for shortcuts. Yeah, but... that doesn't work that well. Okay. Um, I, so I saw the reviews were mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to like restart the Stream Deck software and that's not great. No. What you should do is, here's a hot tip, I'll link to a video in, in the show notes. Um, in shortcuts, right click on the shortcut and add it to your dock. Mm. Because what that does is make it an application And then you can launch the application. That has been the most reliable way I've used to launch shortcuts. Oh, I love that. That's a great hack. And then you can just drag it out of the dock. Like dragging it out of the dock doesn't delete it from the applications folder. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like, that has been the most reliable way for me, at least at this point. Yeah. Um, Because like I've tried like doing like Keyboard Maestro has it and like Alfred slash Raycast, which are two. I have Alfred, yeah. Although I mostly use Alfred for snippets. <laughs> yes. Um, I, longtime Alfred user, I switched to Raycast in December. It's like so good. Um, so I'll link to that too. It's so good. Um, the nice thing about, about Raycast versus Alfred is with Alfred, you need to write like SC and then the name of the shortcut to launch a shortcut. Okay. And Raycast just has that natively. Because I've got like, I don't actually know how many shortcuts I have, but it's probably over a hundred. Wow. Probably over a hundred, which is like a lot for most people and not a lot for like hardcore shortcuts users like <laughs> Matt Casanelli and Federico Vatici are like, I have a thousand shortcuts. I'm like, great. How do you know? <laughs> yeah. How how do you? But um, so like, obviously mine aren't fitting on my stream deck. Um you mentioned kind of context around the Stream Deck. You have your day-to-day. And then mm-hmm. Stream Deck has a cool feature, the software, where like you you open an app and it switches profiles, right? Is that... Yeah, I don't do it. <laughs> okay, so that's great. I was going to ask, because it hasn't been super reliable for me. Well, it 
it works, but it's frustrating. So my yeah. my biggest pet peeve with it is that there are very few applications where it's always going to be the one front and center. And if it's not the the active application, so the example is that when I was first, I thought this is brilliant. When I'm running a Zoom meeting, I'll have it on my Zoom profile. But yeah, then if totally. I go to demonstrate a website and I go to the website, it goes back to the default. And I thought, no, 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 no. So <laughs> no, I, I still need this. I needed much more control and I got rid of that. So I do not use context specific. Same with the, the loop decks, same thing where they said, oh, great. You can just, depending on what's open. And there are going to be some people for whom that makes perfect sense. but so I think editing software is actually a good example where you're not going to be using that globally. You're not you're not going to use controls for editing in the background while you're doing something else. So that right. makes sense for a dedicated profile. But if you are doing a demonstration or you're running a live stream or you're running a Zoom call and you're going to go to another application at some point while that's still going and you want the global shortcuts to work while you are on another application, you don't want your stream deck bouncing around to a different profile or folder or page. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to... Like David Sparks talks about this. Like he's using his stream deck XL for... He has context. So when he's in Safari, he has a profile for Safari. And like he uses the knobs to, I think, scroll the page, right? Like I think he's just experimenting with keyboard okay. shortcuts. Um, but then like... ScreenFlow, like he has a ScreenFlow profile for his Stream Deck XL and he uses the knobs to scrub and do that Ripple Delete. That's how I learned about Ripple Delete. Yeah. So that membership has officially paid for itself for like three years. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, I think yeah. that's a great example where probably when you're in ScreenFlow, you're only using that and the keys, you're only going to use it when it's the active application. That right. to me makes perfect sense. I just don't have a lot of contexts where I need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, and that's exactly where I'm at too. Now, yeah. something I'm wondering, right, is because um, do you have like buttons then to switch to switch profiles or pages? So I, I actually I used to have them, and then I did the switching around of which ones I'm using, and then I don't have it, and now I'm mad at myself for not. So I need them back. Mm -hmm. So for at least for the 32 key. I would say the loop deck has its built in where you can just press numbers and it will take you to the different screens. So that's, it's oh, already that's set cool. up that way. Yeah. And with the new plus, the fact that you can just swipe pages is really convenient. Yeah. You can't swipe profiles, but you can swipe pages. So if you did have a different profile, you can't just jump to another page in a different profile. But right. I would say on, if you just have a dedicated stream deck with only keys I do recommend using a key for that. Now, if you have the pedal, you can actually switch profiles with your pedal for your stream deck on your desk. Okay, I was yeah. going to ask about that because something yeah. that has has made me think, right, is I have an extra dial on my stream deck Pro and Plus. Can I use that dial to switch between profiles on the stream deck XL? So I don't think so. Mm. I, right now, as it stands okay. with the current configure your stream deck for the plus the dials are super limited you can yeah. do hotkeys but you can't do a hotkey to change your profile so interesting the dials don't have stream deck navigation built in i this is going to be at the time be, of recording yes at the time of recording right after we record i am going to try a little experiment where i use keyboard maestro to map a hotkey Oh. To switching a profile, I can. I'm going to see if I can do but that. But I, I don't know if profiles have a hotkey. That's what. So, yeah. So I'm wondering because like Keyboard Maestro has Stream Deck integration. So I'm wondering if that's something maybe they expose in the API. Yeah. I'm going to try. This is going to be. This is where I. This is my toxic trait. Trait is trying to automate things that should never be automated. I think. <laughs> well, I, I'm just thinking to myself. I'm curious who's still with us. And if they are, they are definitely our people because we're going sure. deep onto some stuff that many people don't care about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is, <laughs> yes, these are our people right here. Um, so we have been talking for, oh my gosh, almost an hour about this stuff. Let's wrap up. We'll yeah. talk more in the pro show. Um, what, I'm going to ask you two questions here. One I prepped mm -hmm. you on, one I didn't. The first, the one I didn't prep you on is what, are your favorite Stream Deck actions? I think you probably just talked about a few of them. But like, what's your favorite thing to use the Stream Deck for outside of live streaming? Um, 
to uh, give people some ideas on how they it's can use It's got to be that nerdy multi-action that I mentioned. Yeah. So programming, the thing you repeat over and over, opening all the windows or all the applications with one press of a button, that just, ah, oh, chef's kiss. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I will, uh, since I haven't talked much about my setup at this point, I will mention a couple. Um, running shortcuts is my favorite, right? So mm-hmm. like I have like a shortcut to log ideas. I have a shortcut to open my forecast and OmniFocus um, and things like that. I also use the Apple Music buttons on the Stream Deck. for. Yeah. Uh, so I have like um, previous, play, pause, mm-hmm. and next. For this reason, for two reasons. The play shows the artwork, yeah. right? Oh. When you're playing. It does it for Spotify too, because I was using both for a while. Yeah. So I had like six buttons on my stream deck just for controlling music apps. Um, but the media keys on the Apple keyboard sometimes get confused and hijacked by anything that plays media, like yes. Twitter videos. The stream deck buttons don't do that, right? They are okay. only going to control Apple Music. that's the plugin, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's only going to control Apple Music. And so I, I really love that. Um, and those are the things, you know, I have an extra, I have a page dedicated to Ecamm Live. Mm-hmm. And I have all 32 buttons for that. Yeah. Because I've got like a bunch of scenes. But then I also have like a, in Ecamm Live, I have a short form video profile. Because okay. I was like, I'm going to do TikTok, but I'm going to do it on my computer and like not on my phone because that's weird and I don't like editing and I'm scared of it. Um, <laughs> and so I set up like a vertical video. Yeah view uh, based on your videos. And so I have some buttons to control that too. Nice. Um, I haven't done a lot of that, <laughs> but I like the short form videos, but a uh, big fan of that. Um, and then the last one I'll mention is I have a button for Twitter to tweet that I'm live streaming. Uh, so, I've and seen that one, but it always makes yeah. me nervous. It's like, what if I yeah. accidentally press this? What if I accidentally <laughs> hit it? Yeah. Um, Low, st- I've I got nervous about that too, but like low stakes on Twitter. Like first of all, it's an external link, so it's probably not even going to get shown to people. Um, yeah. So I have that right above my go live button, so I usually go one two yeah. sort of thing. But I can set up a multi action now to go live and tweet. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to do that. And then that actually, I like that idea because the multi action of if you press go live, you're going live. So then. Yeah, the tweet going out. It's because you're going live. So I, right. I actually like that, and it's rare that you would go live accidentally. Yeah. Now the one thing I need to think about is because I record in Ecamm Live, the go live button is just the record button when you're recording. Oh, yeah. I so, wonder if that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I would probably have two two buttons that almost do the same thing. Mm. And uh, you could have <laughs> I think you I, could have two different profiles: one for live, one for recording. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true, and that that would be better. Yeah, because then like if I'm in, yeah, I think that sounds good. Great, we've worked through a problem here. Um, <laughs> my my last question for you yes. is: if people want to get started, we got we started off shallow, we got super deep. If people want to get started with uh, eCam Live and or the Stream Deck, right? Yeah. What do you recommend? I would say, I mean, I love teaching this stuff and yeah. I've got a bunch of tutorials. So to come over to my YouTube channel and I do also have some free graphics. So if people are just getting started with adding, like creating scenes and adding graphics or you want to add graphics to Zoom, then I've got some free graphics that you can pick up. And then those are right on my website. If you go there, you can pick them up. Yes. Can you say the website for us? I'll include it in the show notes, yeah. but for those listening. It's catmulvahill.com. Probably use the show notes for spelling. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, there's There are a couple of I's and several L's in that. Um, yeah, so I'll include all of that in the show notes, uh, which should be in your podcast player, but if they're not, uh, over at howibuilt.it slash 305. Um, Kat, this has been so fun. In the pro show, we're going to talk about our camera setup and the pros and cons of using teleprompters. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a short conversation, I think, because we went super long here. Um, I, you already mentioned it, but is there any place else that people can find you if they want to learn more? Well, I'm also sharing tips regularly to LinkedIn. So you can find me over on LinkedIn as well. 
Yes, we are. Can I say this? We're like in a little like LinkedIn accountability group where yeah. we, uh, where we're checking out each other's posts and commenting. Yeah, making sure. And it's also just nice to check in if you say you're going to do it to actually have a group of people who might notice. If you don't, do the thing you said you would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which totally helped me this morning. I almost fell into a rabbit hole and I'm like, you know what? There are people who are on a Zoom call with me who are going to be like, what did you do? And I'm not going to be like, I Googled alternatives to typefully. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Kat, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thank you so much to you for listening. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Gap Scout, Groundhog, and LearnDash. Again, you can find all of the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 305. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>